the citizens of Gotham City, this is the Joker, coming to you live via my high-powered jamming system, and specifically addressing Batman, wherever you are. <laughs> if you want to hear my complete message, you'll have to listen to the voices of Krypton. <laughs> I'm Ed Gross, and this is Voices from Krypton, the podcast where we speak superhero. And we also happen to be pretty fluent in sci-fi and action. Although we're not sure why this would come to mind, if you're looking for a common bond between Sonic the Hedgehog, Captain America, Batman, Ezio, and Chris Redfield, we've got the answer, and his name is Roger Craig Smith. A former stand-up comic, since 2006 he's managed to work as a voice actor, bringing characters to life on film, television, and in video games. Along the way, he spent a decade voicing the character of Sonic the Hedgehog in a variety of projects, became the voice of Captain America in animation for a time, and brought the Dark Knight to life on numerous occasions, including the game Ark of Origins and animated feature Superman Red Sun. But even bigger than those have been his work in the games Resident Evil and Assassin's Creed. Today, Roger joins us on the VFK podcast for the first of a two-part interview, providing a look back at how he got involved with voice acting in the first place, the way the COVID pandemic has impacted the industry, how it's pivoted to adapt, and he reflects on his 10 years as Sonic, explaining his reasons for giving it up that seem to have little in common with fan theories. What was your journey? I mean, what led you to doing voice acting? Like so many the people that have backgrounds in music and theater and all that kind of stuff, uh, mine was as a kid, I was a goofball and started doing little theatrical productions and things like that. I was a part of a musical youth artist repertory theater, my art in uh, Orange County, uh, in my sort of like middle school days into high school, uh, then did theater arts in high school. Graduated high school, was on a much different path in terms of not going, tried to do straight into college, junior college, taking 16 units and hated it and uh, (laughs) dropped out of that very shortly thereafter and was going to be a rock star and started playing drums and bands and things. Um, And and of course, that worked out phenomenally well as well, as far as electric. <laughs> sure. and, uh, and the whole time I had friends that were going, like, you ever thought about doing stand-up, stand-up, stand-up? Even in high school, I, I would get questions like that. You know, you're going to be a stand-up comic. And I was like, no, I mean, I could never see myself doing it. And then finally, I was at an age where I was like, well, now, I, now I've got a little more experience under my belt. And I can kind of talk about some things with a little more maybe objectivity uh, as opposed to, you know, it being purely subjective stuff. And so started doing some stand-up. And then on the advice of my high school theater arts instructor, started doing characters and voices in the act and did that professionally for about five years. And finally, the the, the big catalyst was uh, performing at the Improv in Irvine for um, the Aspen Comedy Festival they were doing. Ten of us were selected to perform on this night as sort of a showcase for this uh, this woman that was there to, to, to evaluate and try to select talent to go to the Aspen Comedy Festival. And uh, so we, we do our sets and then the audience leaves and we all get back up on stage and she critiques us one by one and she got down to me and said nothing about my stand-up comedy. She just she just gets to me and she goes, Roger, um, who represents you for voiceover? And I said, uh, <laughs> okay. nobody. And she goes, oh, you do a lot of characters and voices in your act. You'd probably be pretty good at that. You should look into it. And then she just moved on. <laughs> uh, excuse me, am I funny? My, yeah. I was like, but, but I just did like seven minutes of like my best stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's like, That's great. That not, and uh, and yeah, so yeah, it was, uh, I, I just finally was like, okay. And I had heard it, for, you know, because we would do for corporate stuff. You, you MC the night, you do your comedy, you then MC and you run the auction and you do things like that. Um, and people at these events, at these corporate events, would be like, you have a really nice speaking voice. Do you work in radio or, you know, 
are you a professional MC? And I, I was always just like, no, no, this is just, you know, I'm a completely directionless, you know, 20 something. <laughs> There's and, a goal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> completely and, directionless. Uh, and so, and so finally I just realized, well, people keep telling me this. So maybe, and here was an industry professional who, whose first reaction was, oh, this guy's a voice actor. You know, somebody must represent him. He, he must be good enough for me to assume he has representation in this field. And I thought I need to go bark up the tree. So I, I was going to college at the time and uh, screenwriting was the major. And I'd always thought like, all right, well, stand up comedy and screenwriting. I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be one of those writers who maybe does some stand up here and there and maybe or maybe not has some success in that realm. But in the meantime, it's at least, at least I'm polishing things and getting to you know kind of hone my craft and still working as a uh, stand up while kind of being around funny people and remaining funny in the screenwriting sense. Um, but then, you know, I, I thought, okay, well, I keep listening to this. So I started looking into it as I was going to college and started realizing like, oh, I can do some of these things. And I, you know, I had a, you know, cursory understanding of, uh, editing and things like that. So I just started kind of delving into running my own business as a, as a voiceover person in Orange County, California. And thankfully that area, I was able to kind of cut my teeth and make mistakes and learn and do all that kind of stuff on a very low, you know, low budget, uh, small market sort of, uh, exposure level. And, uh, and it just kind of kept growing and growing and growing until I finally realized, I'm like, I think I'm going to really kind of look into this and invest in this wholeheartedly and take it seriously. And, uh, and did, I just, just said, all right, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to, uh, basically borrow, uh, money to try to live for a while and see if I can't start really going and taking classes up in LA and making myself known in that arena you know, from this point forward, because I was starting to do things that were broadcast television and stuff like that for local advertising agencies in Orange County. Um, and I was like, OK, well, if they're listening and they're, you know, I'm I'm piquing their interest that I'm good. I, I think I'm I, I think I'm good to go with this and bark up this tree. So that was that was basically the catalyst was, you know, being told you suck at comedy. So go do this, <laughs> <laughs> do this other thing, sir. Uh, but that was that was really and truly it. And then it was, uh, I think I booked a McDonald's commercial through AFTRA on like one of my first, um, gig. I took Bob Bergen's, uh, uh, voice, voiceover for animation, uh, or, or I think it was voice acting for actors workshop or animation workshop. What I can't remember the actual title of it. I think, no, that was, I'm thinking of Kelman's and Kelman's and way back in the day. Um, but no, it was, I, so I took Bob Bergen's animation class and by that point I had been doing a lot of stuff down in Orange County and I had a website and you know, CDs and MP3s and stuff that were ready to go. And there was a woman that was in that class that was auditing the class, we thought. And she turned out to be the booth director for uh, the for an agency. And they were looking for young people, men and women that could do animation voices. And at the end of the class, myself and this other woman were, were pulled aside. And Bob said, okay, so that person that was here auditing was not auditing. That was so-and-so from this agency. And they're looking for animation people and they liked you too. And we want to make sure you guys have like your package ready to go and that kind of thing. And I was like, yep, let's do this. And wow. a week later I had a meeting with them. And then a week and a half after that, they called me and said, we're doing business with you. And, uh, and shortly thereafter just started booking little gigs and then, uh, Taft Hart lead my way in through a, a Disney animation job that never saw the light of day, but that got me into SAG and yeah, the rest was, uh, the rest was history. But it's amazing how life starts off in one way and you end up going into this entirely, yeah, I guess I'll give that a try. <laughs> it leads you know, to this. It does. And, and even my, I, I always quote her, my, my high school theater arts instructor, Jan Lowry, always said the path is never linear. You know, it's like I've, I've tried to convey that to people that, that want to get into this industry. They look, at the, they look at this and they go, oh, you know, it's like there's, there's this giant mountaintop that I want to get to and I, I just see everything in between me and that. And I just want to go straight there. And it's like, no, I can tell you that 
if you ever find yourself thinking that you've reached that peak, which hopefully you never find yourself thinking you've reached that peak, but let's say you do, you're going to look back and you're going to realize, oh my gosh, I, you know, at about 10,000 feet down, I started veering left for a little while. And then I gained about, you know, a thousand feet in elevation. And then I veered right for like a, you know, a year. And then it was like, gained another 500 feet and then all of a sudden 3000 feet in elevation in one year. It's like, you just start looking at this zigzag pattern that got you where you're at because it just, I don't know anything in life that goes that way. It's like, you know, the minute you decide I'm going to go do this thing, everything that's going to be in between you and that goal just starts happening. You know, it's like something as mundane as I'm going to go to the grocery store. It's like, were you planning on being cut off, you know, by that jerk and the 18 wheeler that, you know, didn't signal. It's like, no, but that happened. And it, you know, it sort of was a, was a, an impedance. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, just a little. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, to what you were doing. And, um, and so that's like, that's how it all, all goes. Like, you know, I want to be a voice actor. It's like, okay, well, you're going to learn real quick. Like, Hey, probably, you know, is in your best interest to invest in some equipment at home. And now more than ever, it's it, back then it wasn't even really all that necessary. I can right. remember it being a big deal when I, asked my agency because I was driving from Orange County to LA to go literally read 15 seconds of a copy and then drive back down. It's four hours round trip kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I finally, after having been there for quite a while and getting the hang of things and booking jobs, I remember reaching out and saying, would it be possible for me to submit from home for these auditions? And they're like, absolutely. You have proven yourself to be capable and understanding direction. We might call you with a redirector, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're like, yeah, by all means, because you know, I was an Orange County kid uh, for the longest time. I did that for about seven years and finally in 2012 moved up to L.A. Good. I mean, especially now with the pandemic and stuff. <laughs> it's like true. Well, and I, I even bailed on L.A. back in October. So I sold uh, in California and moved up to Idaho. So, <laughs> oh, like wow. Further, that's where you are, away. Idaho. Wow. OK. Yep, I'm in Boise, Idaho now. Yeah. Wow. That's quite a change. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, in 2011, I bought a home up here and it was uh, it was one of those things where I thought this is where I want to retire. This is where I want to have a different life someday. And then, uh, but for the longest time, the, the, the sort of like hurdle to that was the animation industry. You know, we typically always did everything in studio for animation. Um, but I'd been recording, you know, for retail clients and narration and promos and things like that since 2006 from my home studio, even down in Orange County, I put in an ISDN line, you know, converted a closet into a recording booth and all that. So I could work first thing in the morning, 5am, 6am sessions for a retail client, hop in the car, go to LA, do video games and animation, come back home recorded at home wow. again for narration or whatever I had to do that was unsupervised, things like that. Um, and then, but the one, the sort of the one sort of hurdle was always going to be animation because that they preferred it. Everybody does this as an ensemble cast in a room together, that kind of thing. Then the pandemic hit and for about two weeks we kind of shut down and then it, slowly but surely people started saying, all right, we're going to do zoom and we're going to do you guys recording at home. Then you're going to upload your files and do all that. And then we started using IPDTL, which I was very familiar with for years and Source Connect, which I was familiar with for years because literally networks do promos through that stuff. And ISDN was finally dead. Um, I don't honestly know anybody who can tell me that they've done an ISDN session recently, but I'm sure there are. I'm sure there's definitely people still doing it. But yeah, so all of a sudden the animation industry was working from home and I went, all right, I I don't think I'm ever going to get an opportunity like this ever again. So I'm going to I'm going to get out. I'm just going to since we've established that it can be done. And I have professionally, you know, built in studios in the house. I think I'm going to do this and just get out and and see where the chips fall after that. But no, it's and it's great. And I assume that I mean, like you said, they they prefer an animation to have you all in the booth together. So you have the interaction when you do it on Zoom. Do you get the same sort of feeling or is it kind of something you have to adapt to when you're doing it on Zoom as opposed to being next to each other physically? 
I think there's going to be different answers from every actor because for me, I'm fine with this. I, I honestly and truly am. I, I like it. I think it's fun. Um, I do enjoy the fact that we still get to kind of see each other. Those of us that want to turn our cameras on. <laughs> Sometimes people are like, I don't want to be seen today. Right. Well, um, yeah, there's always that. Sure. Yeah. And and some people actually prefer to kind of like lose themselves in it. And they, And I've had some people say like, no, I actually like this because I can... I don't have to worry about hearing, you know, you and Fred goofing off in the corner or giggling through my lines or, you know, like shuffling of papers or things that would distract me in a booth. And then some people really need to feed off of that, that energy of everybody in the room together. And it's like, so I think it kind of, it blends it in a, in a, in as good a way as possible. But I think some people would say, no, I can't wait to get back in the booth with my colleagues. And for me, I'm completely indifferent if this is, you know, there's there's not much that's going to have me going back down to California at this point. Um, but I've always said, look, if the if the gig absolutely requires it, and it's the difference between me losing a gig and making time to get down to you know to L.A. for a day or two, um, by all means, I'll figure out a way to get down there. Right. Um, but for the most part, I'm like, look, we can do it. We've done, I mean, gosh, the entire year of stuff that I've done for Apex Legends, you know, which is interactive, um, was all done from home, including performance capture i mean oh, not wow. full performance capture but mocap where we were doing facial motion capture along with all being done remotely they really sent yeah they sent over a couple pelican cases with some mocap equipment in it we got on a zoom call the gentleman connected to my home network he was then connected to the equipment from that point forward we i mean it was mind-boggling that we could do it but we did and uh i mean it was it was bizarre i'd be like all right we're rolling and then all of a sudden the lights would turn on on my little helmet cam and it's like you just go this guy is controlling this from somewhere in la I was in Chatsworth at the time. I'm like, he's just through my home network sending these signals to this, you know, this device. And it's like, he's rolling, he's monitoring things on his end. Sure, it's a little choppier and a little slower than if we were completely hardwired in on a performance stage, that kind of thing. But they did it. They did it. We had trailers release and we had full-blown productions. We've done almost 70% of an upcoming animated series that I'm on that that, uh, I guarantee you that I I would say easily 75% of all the sessions have been done from home during the pandemic. And so you just go, if it's working, you know, like, why not? I mean, yeah, like, absolutely. You know, why not? We're saving money and gas. We're, aren't we a green uh, industry? Aren't we <laughs> super concerned about uh, our, our, you know, carbon footprint? Well, guess who's not driving all over Southern California, sitting in traffic for three hours, trying to get to a, a gig to, you know, to say nothing of the efficiency of booking. Like there's no, there's no excuse for traffic anymore. There's no excuse for, you know, uh, well, if you know he's in Santa Monica right now, so if you want him at one, then there's no way he can get there because he's he's going till twelve thirty. So let's say two. So there's an hour and a half of bookable time that you've lost, and you know all that kind of stuff. So now it's just like yeah, fifteen minute increments. You yeah, it was done at ten fifteen. <laughs> right. like, cool, you can connect at eleven. You know that kind of thing. So I, I love it. I love the efficiency of this. I've always loved just kind of just the world of voice acting and being a voice actor and being a part of a production team. So for me, it's not so much the. I guess the elation of the performance or the, you know, the, the accolades that come with that or the, you know, the, the trappings of all that. But it's like, I look at this as like, I think this is almost better for production. I don't know. Right. Some people hate it. Some writers are just like, no, God, I, I can't wait. I got to get in the booth with you guys. I got to see you. I got to, you know, it's like, so it, it's just, everybody's kind of got their reaction to it. I'm completely fine with it. Well, I think we come out the other end of all this anyway. Everybody does in a very different place in the sense of like, Myself, he was my as an entertainment journalist. You know, I was working in an office in New York City, where mm-hmm. I mean, I'm no longer working for them, but 
when I was, you know, it was, it was like, I can do this at home. I can do this at home. Right. And now yeah. everybody's done it at home. And I can't imagine they're going to start renting those office spaces again once we get through this pandemic. Do you know what I no, mean? I, I would imagine yeah. they're going to let people work from home because it, uh, how much money are they saving by not having offices? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, these, these the footprints of these buildings, the the real estate involved, it's like, you know, I think, and, and really and truly this, everything is an industry. Everything is trying to, you know, to sort of, to stay in the black on this. And so if they look at this as, as a huge cost cutting, you know, savings to them, they're going to be, they're going to be really looking at that. And I, I think so. that was really, that was the catalyst for me going, uh, I think I'm out. I think I'm going to take yeah. advantage of this. Cause it was like, you know, I, I had come up to Idaho in the summer and was literally in McCall, Idaho, uh, at a cabin recording, you know, animated work, you know, the retail work, interactive work. And then I'd go, you know, throw the kayak in the truck and, and 25 minutes later I'm paddling on the, on the water and I'm just loving life. And then I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm going to go back. Cause I got another session this afternoon. Right. I'd go, I'd go back <laughs> in nice. the afternoon, record some more and then throw the truck, you know, the, the kayak back in the, the truck and go sit on a lake for a while. I'm like, why would I not be doing this every day of my life if I can? And I, I remember going back going, I can't believe this. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to very quickly, just sell and get out yeah and uh no wife no kids so it was a very easy decision i already owned you know property up here so it was kind of like okay i wasn't having to like hunt for a home i could basically just put my house on the market down in california and say i'm out yeah and and just get a moving truck and go that's great uh, seriously yeah so i was very fortunate to be able to do that and you know knock on wood the worst case scenario is that it, it just turns out to be that it's like no they they are they're demanding that actors be in los angeles and i go and i rent an apartment and i you know, I become a commuter. You yeah. know, it's like I fly down once a week. Right. You know, it's, uh, so be it. You know, they, to, to be able to, to, to be a part of this industry and to work like that, if they would be willing to work with me on, you know, travel dates and things like that, it's like, yeah, these are not problems. Right. <laughs> and like, you've proven yourself. Again, you have a track record. So uh, I'd mo- like to think so, but yeah, I don't rely on it. You know, life and when you're following a career, obviously, the way I view it anyway is everything is a big break, right? The first time you did this is a big break. The first time you did that is a big break. But is there something that you can look at and say, this turned things around? This is the thing that made me say, I've kind of made it. I mean, granted, the rug could be pulled out from me at any time. But in your mind, was there something that made you say, yep, I'm here and this is this is what I'm sort of destined to do? Oh, man. You know, I don't, I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know if, I'm trying to think if there, if there's a specific if there was a specific gig, I honestly don't know. Um, was there a role that made you uh, make you suddenly say, wow, I'm in this role and this is big? Well, you know what? I would probably say that I think at one point where I was like, oh, this is going to get attention and this is going to get eyeballs um, was Chris Redfield from Resident Evil 5. Okay. Um, because I was literally in the session and it was kind of a weird thing. It was like a, it was a shady deal where they wanted to book outside of my agency because I don't think they wanted to give the plus 10%. Um, right. and it was like, it was a union gig and it was, I was just like, okay. So it was this weird thing where, where I just didn't quite know how to feel about it. And yet, um, I'm on it. And I remember thinking like, well, I don't know. I've, I've never really played a ton of resident evil, but I know a ton of people do and they love it. I thought, well, maybe this is, uh, maybe this is going to be a big game. And I, I remember asking Liam O'Brien, who was our director on that, along with Stephanie Shea and I, <laughs> Liam and I were working together at that moment. I said, this is going to be like a big game, right? Like, is this going to, this is going to get some eyeballs. And he just stopped and started laughing. He goes, yes, it's going to be <laughs> very big. And sure enough, it was. And then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. It, it was a very interesting thing. There were a lot of things that happened about the launch of the game that left me kind of learning some lessons and kind of going, ah, oh, that's how some of this stuff works. And like, okay, that's unfortunate. But, 
Um, but it was still, I just remember realizing, oh, now people are, are going, who's this dude? You know, and I think back then I was only on Facebook reluctantly. Right. And, uh, yeah, no and suddenly people started reaching <laughs> out, you know, same thing with Sonic the Hedgehog, which came a year after that in 2010 when, uh, uh, Patrick, who was, uh, my contact over at Sega had sent an email saying, okay, well just to give you a heads up, we're going to be going live with the announcement that you're, we're, we're announcing the new game and your involvement in it, you know, at 12 noon, uh, Eastern. And I was like, okay, fine. You know, I was like, whatever, you know. And back then, I think I had a website that had, like, my email address on it and that kind of thing. Right, so I was just right. Joe Blow, you know, please hire me guy. <laughs> right. And, uh, and sure enough, this uh, this thing comes out. And it was like, all of a sudden, my, my little email indicator starts going ding, 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 ding. Like, <laughs> all these people, like, you know, going, you sound too old and you're too old for this character. <laughs> and like, oh, and other geez. people going, like, welcome to the – yeah, it was very funny. It was like, oh, wow. I'm like, okay, so now – now I'm a part of things that people are seeking and people are interested in. And so they're reaching out and they're looking for me. And I was like, okay, yeah, between that and Sonic and that kind of thing. And then, you know, Ezio with, uh, with Assassin's Creed. And, but yeah, I, I would, and I would say like, when I think of like the, the sort of pop in my career, when I went boom, holy cow, I, I could not have asked for a bigger year was, uh, 2013 when we had the premiere of Avengers assemble on Disney XD. We had the release of planes, where I was the uh, the bad guy, Rip Slinger, in that in August, and then in October we had Batman: Arkham, Arkham Origins, uh, the video game. So yeah, I got to be. I went from you know Joe Blow guy to uh, to to Captain America, Batman, and and a, and a Disney villain all in one summer. Wow! And it was just like yeah, it was nuts. And it was and a ton of stuff was going on in my personal life at that time, and I was learning a lot about myself and everything. And it was like oh boy. <laughs> um, so it was a whirlwind kind of a kind of a time in life um, that was super challenging. And I, I look back on it and I, I sort of lament. I'm like, yeah, yeah, man, you weren't you weren't quite ready for everything that life was throwing at you. But because it just sort of is like, yeah, man, that 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 year came and went <laughs> big time. And it's like, yeah, there were a lot of things that were happening at that time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was probably the big the big year. But I would say maybe Chris Redfield being in that moment with Liam in the booth and me going, it's going to be a big game, isn't it? <laughs> and laughing and going, yeah, dude. Yeah. It's like, oh, Roger, you're so cute. Yes. It's going to be a big game. <laughs> yeah. And up until then I was like, I loved it. I loved my job. I loved getting, you know, it's like my goal in those moments is to try to please Liam or Stephanie or, or the director, whoever's on the other side of the glass. It's like, that's what I loved about this industry was that it was like, it was small to me and it still is in many ways. You know, I, I forget like you, you just, you do these things and then all of a sudden somebody reaches out to you and it's like, you forget that it's like it's going to go out like you're you're fixated and focused on the job, you know, at hand right. and what you have to do. And then all of a sudden it's like somebody reaches out to you on social media and goes like I was in the hospital for six weeks with a you know back injury. And all I did was play Assassin's Creed every day and I fell in love with Ezio and I just wanted to reach out and let you know, like your performance in that game, like totally captured me. And you just start going, oh, that's right. Yeah. People are, you know, people are doing this. and they're, they're, They have a completely different experience with your work than you do because you're just. You know, God, I hope I work next week, next month, next year. And God, I hope they like what I'm doing right now. But you're not thinking like, this is going to be so great. People are going to love it because you have ne- like legacy. You're not you thinking legacy. You're thinking what the current job is. Yeah, without a doubt. And yeah. I think the minute you think legacy, you're going to you're not doing a service to the job in that moment anyway. Right. Because you're thinking like, dude, I'm Batman. This is going to be so sick. It's like, <laughs> no, I cannot believe they've given me this opportunity. I'm so nervous as I'll get up. I hope they don't figure out that I have no clue what I'm doing and that I'm <laughs> It's like <laughs> right, in my mind, course. I hate myself right now. You know, it's like 
uh, that's where it's at. My right. buddy Fred Tatashore and I talk about that all the time. There's a pendulum swing between you're the greatest thing that's ever happened to this industry, and on the other side is the God. I hope they don't find out that I don't know what I'm doing, and I, you know, it's like I'm terrible at this. And you just try to keep it wiggling right in between those two, you know, just sort of right at six o'clock, you know, keep it right there. Yeah. Don't let it swing to three or nine too much because you're never gonna be able to do the job. You have right. to have enough confidence and enough insecurity to 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 be hungry, but to also have the confidence in making choices and executing. And let me tell you, you know, you you think about like, well, gee, I wonder what kind of impact I'm making. I have to share this with you. My son Dennis, uh, who's uh, twenty uh, twenty eight at this point, or twenty nine, uh, <laughs> uh, has been a lifelong Sonic fan. Uh, oh, cool. It's something. Yeah, he lives in Japan now, and and he's married, and but he's always loved Sonic. And he sent me a message when I told him I was speaking to you. First of all, he, he was like all freaking out about the fact that I was talking to you. <laughs> and this is a message he asked me to give you, uh, and I hope you don't mind me doing this. No, no. Uh, it says Roger. I have been a Sonic fan ever since I was a little kid. I just wanted to thank you for not only providing the spunk and heart to our favorite hedgehog, but for also being an active and wonderful part of the Sonic community for these past ten years. Your work as Sonic will not be forgotten by fans, and I feel lucky that such an important character to me was in such caring hands for so long. Sincerely, and thank you. Ah, Dennis, what a nice guy. You know, it's like, <laughs> clearly that apple fell far from the tree. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> it's like, please, where's that apple? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, that's amazing. That, that has been, uh, you know, when I, when I sent out the tweet, uh, rather cryptically, it's like the, the outpouring of support was nice, um, and it's it's... Yeah, that that that's incredible. It's very nice of him to say that. Um, and it, it's it's also one of those things too, where you're like, yeah, I've had a very, I mean, arguably, there's one person on this earth who's experienced this entire ten years in only a very very unique way, and that's me because I've had to field, you know, both the love and the the sometimes the hate from that that somewhat polarized fan base. Um, They're all polarized, my friend. <laughs> I know the they all are. It's very are. true. Well, that's yeah. just that's yeah, exactly. That that's fan bases. That's also just trolls in general, but yeah. um no, but it, it, it's it, it's kind of incredible to to go like, yeah, that's neat because I I always did try to make sure that I was participating and responding and liking replies to my tweets and things like that and supporting the the Sonic the Hedgehog Twitter account and things like that, trying to participate, just like, you know, to be a part of this because it was such a fortunate and unique thing and, and an honor to be a part of, you know, an iconic, you know, uh, franchise and an iconic character in gaming like that. It's just in, insane. Um, but yeah, that's that's really neat. That was a very nice, very nice thing to uh, to, to listen to. Uh, so, well, good. Dennis, thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> there you go. The, the, the pleasure was all mine. I, I was honored to do that. And it's like, and who knows, stranger things have happened in the world. You know, it's like, I have no idea what, what Sega wants to do or what they're going to do, but you know, things change sometimes, but we'll see. Well, you know, I, I didn't read up on this and maybe I should have, were there circumstances surrounding your leaving the character or did they were going in another direction? I mean, what, what was the story with that? No, and I mean, w- without wanting to to, to divulge, too I could much, cut it, this out too. Uh, oh, no, that's Roger, fine. That's it, okay, it, it's so. just one of those things. I, I, I literally, I think my response would be just, it's just one of those things. It's a, it's a, it's a time in you know looking at the way things are being handled and the way that you are and where you're at and what you uh, kind of want to deal with and and do. And I just found myself going, I think it's time. I think it's time to kind of to be done yeah uh and so that was that was that's what that was you know okay. it's like i know people are like they're they're sort of surprised and shocked by it and it was like yeah and and i i've seen all the speculation on like well voice actors don't walk away from all he was fired and right of like, course everybody I, has I reply an to somebody and I go you have absolutely no idea how this industry works and it's like 
so yeah, it, it, and it's interesting the perception that people have. We get this all the time. I mean, they, like it's amazing all the experts that are out there that have nothing to do with this industry that make all these assumptions and you know, well, this is how this works and this is what this does, and it it comes down to everything. I mean, there, there's you know, like I said, when um, when the launch of uh, of Resident Evil Five happened, there were there were moments where I was like, oh, okay, so I don't get invited to the launch party. That's interesting. That's, yeah. Okay. I'm the voice of your protagonist, but uh, but somehow. You know, being told there was no launch party, and then the launch party happens, and they shut down like an entire city block in San Francisco. And <laughs> but there was like, no party. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but the mocap team got invited. Okay, that's interesting. So that's some politics. Like that's an interesting yeah. thing. Like you know, it, it's stuff like that. Like you just start seeing the way the industry works, and you start, you know, nobody wants to know how the sausage is made. And you know, after a while, you you do things, and you start going, okay, I think I'm I'm very pleased, and I'm very proud, and I'm very happy with what has happened there. And I think it's time to say like I I don't want to keep doing this. Right. Uh, I know some people would just be like, well, why? And it's like, doesn't doesn't have to make sense to you. Right, it doesn't. <laughs> it like, it doesn't perfect good sense to me, and it was uh, the right thing to do, and I'm I'm happy to have done it. And it's like, yeah, that's just how it goes. It's just one of those things. So, but again, you know. that's another life lesson, isn't it? In the sense of you think that you're making this valuable contribution to something. You're doing something that is, an, you know, an integral part of what, what's going on. And you find out, like, People aren't really loyal that way. They don't really view it that way. It's like everybody is interchangeable. Everybody's expendable. I mean, it's just oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, and so it's knowing that it's like so are the gigs that you choose and not and choose not to participate in or continue on or that yeah. kind of thing. It's like you know, I mean, this is this is so not even remotely close to compare. But I can remember watching Dave Chappelle on Inside the Actors Studio when he was talking about walking away from a fifty million dollar yeah you know offer from from Comedy Central, and he was like, yeah. Yeah, I did. Right. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to do what they wanted me to do. And he was like, you know, that's how that goes. And and people are just like, well, what? And it's like, well, and really and truly, like all these things have kind of sort of like blended together to be this this very interesting time in life, which is a pandemic, you know, a lot of tumult in the world and and a lot of things kind of changing and shifting and me getting into mid 40s and kind of looking at things where I was like, you know, there's a place that I want to be. There's a place I want to live. There's a place there's a life that I see for myself. And I don't know that trying to keep my head above water in Southern California and uh, in a place where I'm generally kind of not always happiest and, and was investing a ton of time and effort and money into getting outside of California to go have restorative moments. And I'm like, well, I could be in a region of the world where I could have those moments, you know, readily available to me. Why would I not go do that when I don't know if I'm a week away from a cancer diagnosis? I don't know if I'm going right. to get hit by a bus. I don't, you know. And I don't know if I'm going to get COVID and because I have some underlying conditions, be somebody who doesn't fare so well with it. It was like, go live, man. Just go. go. So this decision is kind of it's uh, it's sort of grouped into that kind of a mentality where I was like, all right, you know, and, and also I've learned, too, that it's like, I don't know, you make a mistake. And what do you do? You learn. You try to, you know, you try to repair. You try to make sure that you uh, don't do that again. And. I don't know. I found myself kind of going, well, I, I don't know what the worst of this could be other than maybe some people being very surprised and potentially disappointed. But uh, I think everybody will be all right. <laughs> it's like, I, I, what the do world you know? will go on. <laughs> right. It's like, what do you know? The world keeps on spinning. Yep. So, you know, it's like it was just one of those things. I mean, there's no there's no hatred. There's no like, you know, how dare they? There was no major, you know, uh, specific thing that had me going. And that was the straw that broke this camel's right. back. It was just sort of like, nah, you know, we we've done this for for a good 10 years and, and things have been different over there. So let's just, you know, let's just let it be yeah. 
what it's going to be. And guess what? You've worked hard enough and long enough to earn the right to be able to say, eh, I don't feel like doing that. Yeah, I would like to think so. Sure. You know, absolutely. You know, it's like, uh, and if I haven't, then people will let you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody's no shy. Nobody's yeah, shy. Exactly. The and internet you know, has removed all shyness. <laughs> yes. And like a lot of things, I've, I've had some colleagues reach out and just kind of go, I can't believe you left. You know, I can't believe you left California. And it's like, what do you, you know? And they're reaching out very often saying like, I, we, we want to do the same thing, or, but we're nervous, we're this or that. And it's like, I get it, I get it. And yet it's kind of like, but I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. It's like everybody has unique circumstances in their life and it's like, this just worked for me and I, I decided to go do this. And, and uh, you know, it's, who knows, I, the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody in life, I would imagine, would be total and utter financial ruin to the point where you, you know, are starting over from from zero. But if you're still fortunate enough to be above ground and able to do that, then chances are it's not the worst thing in the world. It's right. like, and you hopefully will have seen a lot of things, you know, kind of coming down the pike uh, leading up to this, and will be able to pivot and adapt and shift and you know make some changes in your life uh, mm-hmm. before that happens. And so I just thought, yeah, man, go do this, go do that, go live your life. Go make some changes. Go do this. And, you know, maybe you get it wrong, but you won't know until you do it. And then, you 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 know, you can adapt. You can figure something out. You've you've spent your whole life doing that, which is what got you to this career in the first place. So why don't you think you can't also figure that out going forward? You right. know, absolutely. Including having to move back to California. If it was just like, nope, dude, they're not going to hire you because they're not going to do remotes anymore. And it's like, OK, well, I guess I got to go back to California. <laughs> California, here you come. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, yep. oh, no. And it's like, you know, it's not like, oh, I, I got it wrong. It's no. like, you know, because if it doesn't turn out that way, then it's just like I'm, you know, it's like I'm laughing because I'm sitting on a kayak, you know, in an hour. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like right. I'm going to go skiing with my sister in two hours. And it's like, you know, I can do that because trying to do that in Southern California is not that easy. And Roger, for his part, never views much of what he does as easy, acknowledging that you never know when the rug could be pulled out from under you. We hope you'll join us next time for the conclusion of this conversation. And please check out our other episodes, as well as those of our classic TV podcast, TV Retrovision, both of which can be found at VoicesFromCrypton.net. We'd appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about us, and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.